0: Welcome to $20 a day, the podcast where we explore the various holodeck characters and episodes of the Star Trek universe. I'm Nathan Palletta.
1: And I'm Epidiah Ravishaw.
0: We are coming to you this time to uh, talk about a Next Generation episode. Mm -hmm. Epi, which episode did we select this time?
1: We selected Ship in a Bottle from Season 6, Episode 12.
0: So we, we, we don't cover these in order, obviously. Yeah. Um, and so this is a, an informal sequel, I suppose. This is, this is a sequel to a earlier episode, I think in season three, uh, these are the two Sherlock Holmes
1: episodes. I think it's, uh, might even be season two. They, they say that it's been five years and I think in Star Trek seasons, the years are years. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, that's something we can certainly look up and, and be certain about, but let's not, let's not do that. That's not. Yeah. We all know that we
0: can go to, to memory alpha to, to figure out all of the trivia. That's not what we're here for. You can do that on your own. We we believe in you.
1: I will say this, and I should have said this up front. uh, spoilers in the title. <laughs> that's true. Uh, I think that's something we should let our our longtime listeners of Twenty a Day mm-hmm. uh, know ahead of time because obviously they would be listening to our podcast before they watched right uh, one of these shows. Obviously, and uh, they should maybe not pay attention to the title if they don't want to be a little bit spoiled about what's going on.
0: Well, so this is an episode that really is hard to hard to remember how I reacted to it the first time I saw it. Yeah, right. Because it's very much a, oh, there's a twist. And once you know the twist, it's a little less, I mean, it's, it's a fun episode, but it's right, right. not like, you know, the, it, it doesn't have as impactful a reveal. Uh, so it's kind of hard to put our put myself in those shoes um, coming back to it. That's kind of an interesting thing.
1: Um, this is a little bit of a digression, but our listeners might, might enjoy this. Uh, recently, uh, Emily and I rewatched um, The Lord of the Rings Trilogy. Mm-hmm. And it occurred to me that when I first saw those films, I had so much of that in my system. Like, uh, I remember... Like
0: internalized yeah. story elements and characters and...
1: Yeah. yeah. By the time the, the movies had come out, I'd, I'd read the books, I'd seen the animated films mm-hmm. uh, many times. And, like, I think even before I saw the film, those animated films or even read those books, I saw... Frodo lives graffiti in the wild right right like it just it's such a part of the background culture of my life that uh it was impossible to watch those films and get the experience of Lord of the Rings from them Mm -hmm. like Aragorn is never Strider in those films for me right whereas when I first read it Strider turns out to be Aragorn I'm like he's
0: mysterious and scary like at first, and you're like unsure of his motives. Yeah.
1: And I think that that's a thing uh, about rewatching this one, too. It's It definitely is like, I do remember this episode being a feeling classic in my head. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, like I knew the twists going into it, even if I didn't know exactly how they were going to be delivered.
0: Right. Yeah, I don't really remember the details, but...
1: But I do remember like the, the general gist of it. So I'm like, yeah. Uh, so yeah. So I guess, which
0: is to say, if you're, if your interest is peaked and somehow you have not seen this episode, uh, get yourself to Netflix and, uh, do yourself a favor. If you, if you haven't seen the first one, I would say, go ahead and just watch both Sherlock episodes. Mm-hmm. So these are the ones where data is obsessed with Sherlock Holmes and has a holodeck program where he gets to be Sherlock and Jordy gets to be Watson and uh you know hijinks
1: ensue and just so you know if you watch this episode if you watch both of them and you've never seen any of them before you should know that um beverly crusher dr beverly crusher is a different character from the doctor <laughs> in the previous episode
0: Uh, right because that was season season uh the pulaski season right
1: yes yes
0: as per usual we're fans of this episode um and we're excited to Talk about all the holodeck hijinks, as that is in, indeed the the center of our show here. Um, Ship in a Bottle was written by Rene Echeverria, I believe is how you pronounce his name, who is a longtime TNG and DS9 writer. Um, he was also producer on DS9 and other shows after that. And this one's directed by Alexander Singer, who is a longtime, again, kind of iconic uh star trek director uh 22 episodes between next generation ds9 and voyager one of those were when the credits come up i'm like oh i recognize those names which is not always always uh the case uh some fun trivia about alexander singer his directing career started all the way back in the 60s and he was a fan of the original series but never got to work on it it just never like worked out and so when it came back around for him to work on TNG, uh, apparently it was kind of a, a long-deferred dream come true uh, in a uh. way. His uh, uh, body of work includes uh, A Bunch of the Fugitive, uh, A Bunch oh, of the yeah. Monkeys, Mission Impossible, okay. a couple MacGyver episodes, and, uh, and, and one episode of, uh, of an obscure but, but gem of a show, The Rockford Files.
1: Oh, I've heard of The Rockford Files. <laughs>
0: Uh, he directed an episode called Forced Retirement, which uh, w- which is an episode that has perhaps been discussed on another podcast, but was lost to time. Oh. Sidebar, uh, that is our lost episode Oh, with the submarine. Yes. Mm-hmm. Maybe someday someone will take another look at Forced Retirement.
1: With these fresh eyes.
0: The One of the reasons that there was such a gap between these two episodes, uh, because they did want to go back to the... Sherlock character again. Apparently, the Doyle estate that licenses, you know, Mm -hmm. Sherlock Holmes stuff, was mad at Paramount. Everyone assumed that it was because of that episode. And it's a little unclear from the entry on Memory Alpha. But when someone went back to them and was like, no, seriously, can we work this out? They were mad about the young Sherlock Holmes film, which was a Paramount production. Oh. But not particularly about Star Trek in particular so they worked it out but no one actually asked them for a number of years because they were just like they don't like Paramount so we're not going to be able to work with them
1: this is it's just so awkward it's just
0: i don't know so yet again just just ask when in doubt just yeah just clearly ask for what you want like many TV plots <laughs> that could yes. be solved just go to the person and say what you need and have a conversation like an adult
2: well
1: that that's interesting because then that that uh, little social awkwardness is cause for years of torment <laughs> and a huge ethical dilemma. Uh, <laughs> for uh, the universe of Star Trek. So maybe we should, yeah, uh, let's, when we examine that, we can get into the different layers there.
0: 200 a day is supported by all of our listeners, but especially our patrons at patreon.com slash 200 a day. Patrons get to add to the 200 a day Rockford files files, help us pick which episodes to cover and more. Each episode, we extend a special thanks to our gumshoe level patrons. This time we say thank you to Jim Crocker. In addition to supporting the show, he also sells our games at cons east of the Mississippi on behalf of Indie Press Revolution. Follow along on Twitter at IPR Tweets. Shane Leveland. If you play games online, you should check out his free dice rolling app, Roll for Your Party, at rollforyour.party. Mike Gillis, host of the Radio vs. the Martians podcast, the McLaughlin group for nerds. They remain at themartians.com Kevin Lovecraft, part of the Wednesday Evening Podcast All-Stars Actual Play Podcast, found at MisdirectedMark.com, Dylan Winslow, Dale Norwood, Bill Anderson, and Dave P. And finally, big thanks to Victor DeSanto and to Richard Haddam, who you can find on Twitter, at Richard Haddam. Check out Patreon.com slash 200 a day and see if you want to be our newest gumshoe. Well, uh, speaking of different layers, uh, Epi, can you... And tell us about our cold open, the, the traditional scene before the credits, as we yes. get into our episode of Star Trek.
1: So uh, we get uh, two of my favorite actors, Data and Geordi, <laughs> playing out the roles of uh, Sherlock and Watson. And uh, Data very capably uh, does a Sherlock, probably because in our popular culture of what Sherlock, how Sherlock should behave, it's very similar to how data behaves, right? <laughs> right? Like it's a um just last night in preparation for this I watched one of the Jeremy Brett Sherlock Holmes. I don't know if you've seen those. They're great.
0: <laughs> what what era are those from?
1: I I I want to say like 90s. Oh, 84. Okay. Uh BBC I think. BBC, uh, that's
0: okay. Yeah. I don't think I've seen those.
1: Uh no, I'm sorry. They're from 84 by ITV Gran- Granada, hmm. which is a television company in England. So that makes people think that they're the BBC.
0: <laughs> Apologies to our British listeners. We don't yes. understand your, your your culture.
1: But they're great. And this, this character is like a ruder Data. I mean, that's just it. The difference between Data and Sherlock is politeness. <laughs> like Data is much more polite than Sherlock is. But Data gets to drop that politeness as he interrogates our let's say murderer
0: <laughs> our mustachioed probably murderer
1: well i'm looking at the imdb and there's a character somebody credited it as gentleman
0: that's probably that's probably this character
1: and when i say somebody i shouldn't say somebody i should say clement von frankenstein is the name of the actor <laughs> which is kind of amazing that's a hell of a name his name is clement george Ver von und zu frankenstein i'm i'm murdering that who is the son of George for von und zu Frankenstein. Huh. They're Austrian. Uh, I do believe this is the guy. So anyways, Frankenstein.
0: <laughs> so, so we have a Frankenstein in this episode, so that's pretty excellent. Uh, surprising. I had not remembered that. Um, we, we get to see the the fun bit of, you know, Star Trek uh, characters hamming it up. Yeah. Jordy's putting on a weird half-accent, like someone who's not good at putting on accents, So, which I always appreciate.
1: It's lovely that the clue mm-hmm. is the handedness of the murderer or whatever, which is always a thing, right? Like mm-hmm. when you... It's it's a classic murder mystery, like, bah. But the murderer was left-handed.
0: And that is, in fact, the the gotcha here. Yeah. And then the gag is that Data tosses... Uh, something to him, and he catches it in his right hand. Yes, and Geordi's <laughs> like, "Wait a second! He caught it in his right hand. Something must be wrong with the program." We swiftly get back to our Star Trek universe, um, as there's the this this program must be faulty,
1: which is a legitimate a legitimate conclusion from that, because you would expect a piece of fiction such as a holodeck program to adhere to the tropes of that right. fiction. Which is if you're right-handed, you only ever use your right hand for everything, and if you're left-handed, you only ever like. I'm not (laughs) left-handed. I can catch things with my left hand, Mm -hmm. and I have done so casually. Humble brag, obviously. (laughs) I'm I'm an X-Men, but that aside, like it's always like one of those things in murder mysteries that I find a little. That's not evidence.
0: That's that's the conceit of the holodeck, right? Is that it's you are you're participating in a pre-programmed narrative, and it's yes. kind of it's one of those things where now you know in in 2019 where we have a lot more infrastructure for doing things where you're participating in a pre-planned narrative, right? Like yes. many games, interactive fiction, that kind of stuff. The the bounds of that I think are still an interesting space that Star Trek explored, where it's like. The store, how things are supposed to go, is still set. This guy's supposed to catch it with his left hand. Yeah.
1: yeah, exactly.
0: And everyone participating knows that that's where this is going, but they all have freedom to do things differently to get to that to that end. But then, like some people try to push the bounds, and some people just want to play the character that's been like written, and that's always an, that's an interesting difference to me. Uh, I thought way too much about how Holodeck interactive programs must work.
1: (laughs) No, uh, not at all, because this is precisely the sort of topic that we should be examining on our, uh, we should, we should have a podcast about that.
0: So in this case, because they know what's supposed to happen, this clearly is an anomaly. This is not a case of the parameters of free expression of the holiday character. Right. So they know that something's wrong. They end the program and ask, uh, one of the uh, later editions, and always appreciate to see on the screen characters, Reg Barkley to get on the case.
1: That adorable creep, Reg <laughs> Barkley. Um, I shouldn't say, that. but uh, one thing I do want to say before we get to Reg, I thought at this moment, because again, it has been a while and uh, I mixed it up, I think a little bit with the earlier uh, Sherlock Holmes episode. So in my head, I thought we were going to go to that part where data is just following the script right like uh, like I thought there were it was going to be this reveal that like no data you need to actually engage with the what's happening here and not just you know because so, doesn't he in the first one he yeah, just yeah solves... so in the
0: first one so they, there's some there's some dialogue that kind of fills in sketches in the last yeah. the important points of the last one. Yeah, the the essential plot of that is that they build this Sherlock Holmes uh, simulator. Data wants to be Sherlock Holmes, but he's so observant and so good at putting clues together that as soon as anything happens, he's like, that man is running in that direction. That means that he's the murderer. And yes. Jordy's <laughs> like, but we didn't do the thing. And Data says, but I solved the case. Isn't that the point? And Jordy's like, no, the point is to go through the journey of the narrative yeah. leading to this whole we need a we need a program that can outsmart data, which creates this construct of moriarty who somehow is imbued with enough free will to in fact change the program as as you go, yeah, which again I think in terms of gaming gets to an interesting <laughs> there's <Yeah>. an interesting <laughs> uh uh parallel there of um you know what are your priorities when you are engaging with this uh with this predetermined set of potential outcomes.
1: Yes. Like, are you are you the character who is just trying to solve the mystery as soon as possible so they can get on with their lives? Or are you the audience that is enjoying the fact that the character can't get on with their life? Like, for instance, if you were playing a game where you played, like, a 70s detective right. who just needs some money to make ends meet,
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, would you revel in the fact that... Uh, he keeps getting frustrated at every step of the way to make that money. Or would you just,
0: or would you just go become a truck driver like your dad? Because that's yeah, a stable exactly. income. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I don't know who can say who can say, well, uh, our friend Reg, uh, he's, he's a holodeck expert. As we know, uh-huh. um, he was introduced through being obsessed with, uh, holodeck programs and constructing his own realities there. Cause he wasn't good at interacting with real people. Um, He so he's, uh, you know, checking out these anomalous programs and he the only but the only one that's reading as anomalous is one that's in protected memory. So he runs that program and uh, Professor Moriarty himself appears on the holodeck with, I'll add, ominous music. Yes. And so we get just a a little bit of exposition explanation here for those of us who have not seen that second season episode again during broadcast. Right. Like you're not expecting everyone who sees this to have seen that one.
1: There, I don't, I don't even think there is at that time, a culture of buying up the, oh, I want to say DVDs, but it could be VHSs. Well, it's,
0: not, it's 93. So okay. VHSs.
1: Yeah. Laser discs.
0: Um, so the deal here, uh, Reg doesn't know that this all happened because he didn't join the crew until after it. But, uh, Moriarty, uh, he became self-aware in that program when the computer was instructed to create an opponent who could outsmart data. Mm -hmm. And then Captain Picard ended up promising him that they would figure out a way to get him off the holodeck as he is a self-aware being and he is frustrated with the fact that he's trapped in in this place. So they store them in memory while he was going to figure it out, but... A, nothing's been figured out. And B, he apparently was aware of the passage of time while stored in memory, which yeah. is terrifying.
1: It's, it's also like, it's a really good dodge of the Turing test. I mean, I don't remember in the first episode if they actually did go through anything to really legitimately say that this person has self-awareness and isn't just programmed to mention things to make them appear self-aware, mm, right? Mm-hmm. Like we... We're in a very dangerous spot with the Hollow Deck because we have very complex AI going. If you go into like Voyager, like you, the Doctor and Voyager is uh, a, a complete character. Um, people don't know how uh, these char- like some of the characters are definitely of that non-player character status that would just run through the routines over and over again. But some of them uh, a little bit more. And so the question is, and. This is not a question asked by the episode. This is a question that I ask when I see the episode. Uh, is Moriarty real? Is it that or a a really clever fourth wall breaking holodeck program?
0: So I think that the, the previous episode, I feel like takes it as read that the interaction that creates Moriarty is one that nobody anticipated. Right. Since he was created without anyone actually programming him. The fact that he knows that he's a hologram indicates some amount of
1: true self-awareness. But we but we have seen holograms discover that they're holograms. Listeners, if you listen to uh, one of our previous 20-a-day episodes, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> uh, there's, there's definitely that horrifying realization is dawned on uh, other holograms that aren't given this sort of
0: well in that status. case yeah they are they are explain they are given an explanation by our human characters yeah and then they choose to believe it i guess uh i don't know i think the only way that any that any of the interesting questions that are embedded in this episode are interesting is if Moriarty is a self-aware construct
1: absolutely and uh, and i guess going back to my original point is <laughs> having that moment where Moriarty describes this sort of hor- horrific emptiness of not existing yeah uh, completely dodges that question then it, it it lets us as the audience just go straight to the answer that he is real mm. because it is such a real and human fear that's hard to comprehend at no point do we go wait is he just programmed to talk about this horrifying non-existence
0: mm. right no the, the way that everyone reacts to this is. Yeah, yeah, like this is some bizarre anomaly that no one expected. His self reported experiences we will take them as read that that is what happened how how what he experienced. Well he wants to he wants to talk to Picard. He thinks it'll be appropriate to do it in the Baker Street uh parlor. Um Reg uh stores him in memory and he dissolves, but then after Reg leaves the holodeck, he rematerializes under his right. own power. Dun dun
2: dun
0: which again should not be possible. Right. We have our intro credits uh, and come back into our uh, captain's log that gives us the the slight pressure that is going to apply to this episode. The Enterprise is observing a unique celestial event of two colliding gas giants. It is going to happen in about 17 hours,
2: and Mm -hmm. they're
0: there to observe this unique astrological phenomena. Those of us who have watched the show before are like, all right, they got 17 hours before something bad happens. Yeah,
1: exactly. This is ostensibly the just kind of science stuff that the Enterprise does all the time when we're not watching an episode or whatever. It's
0: lots of phenomena. Yeah. So we we kick off our story with uh, Picard, Reg, and Lieutenant Data meeting Moriarty uh, as stipulated in the Baker Street set uh, (laughs) parlor, if you will. And of course... Everyone is mystified at how this, why he was conscious at all, right, while he was in memory. So Moriarty was like, I was promised that I would be, something would happen and nothing has happened. You lied to me. But then Picard actually has a very, I think, fairly convincing, like, no, we have been, we tried to do stuff. We just couldn't figure it out, (laughs) right? Like, like, we still don't know how you became self-aware. We still uh, don't think it's possible for you to leave the holodeck. We sent all of our data to Starfleet. They also have not come up with an answer. This is the kind of thing that might take a long time. And it's like, oh, yeah, in the background. uh, Yeah, Picard did try to do the thing that he said that he would do.
1: I'm feeling a lot of empathy for Moriarty. That won't always be the case in this episode. But right now it's uh, like definitely. And this is one of those things where the Enterprise greatly, uh, what am I trying to say here? I'm saying that having Captain Jean-Luc Picard really lets you say those things and get away with it.
0: Right, and and believe that that happened.
1: There are other times where they would have gone more to bat for something.
0: Mm. Like if
1: he was a giant crystalline space (laughs) entity or something like that, there would have been another way that they would... uh, So it's having the sort of comforting charm of Picard say Mm. adults are working on it. You, you, you do definitely go, Oh, thank God. (laughs) The adults are working on it. But he
0: does express dismay at the idea that Moriarty was aware Mm -hmm. that kind of changes the temperature a little bit of their interaction. Moriarty, he does not, he, he cannot bear to live in this world of illusions. He has to, you know, since since nothing has been done, now is the time. They need to figure out a way to get him off the holodeck. And Picard demonstrates that things can't exist off the holodeck by tossing a book out of the arch and it dissolves. Yes. Uh, I thought of uh, in our previous episode when uh, uh, Redblock yes. walks out <laughs> of the arch and dissolves. It's like, see, that's what happens. But Moriarty, his consciousness is strong. He knows that he's real. He thinks, therefore he is. And he mm-hmm. walks out of the arch unimpeded and somehow manages to transition into the physical world contradicting everything that they know about holodeck physics. Oh. I feel like this is the upon first watching moment of being like, "Oh, where is this going?" right? Yeah. Cuz like every single holodeck thing up to this point in the show has included this premise that holodeck stuff can't exist off the holodeck
1: and it says things elsewise like for instance when they earlier in this episode when they walked off the holodeck they were still in costume
2: Mm -hmm. Uh,
1: so that implies that they have gone and made their costumes which is fun uh lots of fun things um one of the things i like about this moment when uh moriarty walks off the holodeck is data calling the cops right away
0: yeah (laughs) (laughs) He's <laughs> like, security. And Morari says that he recognizes a policeman no matter what what uh, century. Of course, he gets a uh, he gets a, a scan from Dr. Crusher. Uh, he scans his human. He has DNA and biology and seems to be real. And everyone is kind of like, we have no idea how this happened. I guess we'll go forward from here. He wants to explore this new world. Uh, oh, yeah. Picard shows him to tend forward and explains about how they're not on a ship on the water. Uh, mm-hmm. which has been kind of the what they've been using the language of this whole time, right? To keep in period. But they're in Among the Stars. Moriarty has a nice little soliloquy about being a man out of time, being all alone, and thus feeling the need for some kind of companionship in this uh, sojourn that he's facing. Um, and so he brings up the, the crux of the, the conflict of this episode. His great love, the Countess Regina Bartholomew, who was created... To be his the, the, the yes. one that he loves. How can they make her real to join him in this this uh, brave new world?
1: Uh, yeah, uh, callback to uh, Clement's fictional relative, <laughs> like <laughs> make me a bride, Doctor Frankenstein. Y- and you can see the fear, the trepidation they have about this. They're like, well, hold up.
0: Once this comes up, Picard's like, I mean, he literally has a line about uh the moral and ethical implications. Yeah. Under everything we know, you are a life form. Are we supposed to just create new life forms whenever we want? Like that, this is a more complicated situation. Yes. And uh, so, of course, they have a staff meeting to discuss it in the grand tradition of uh, uh, Star Trek. Is one of those, we'll have the scene so that all the actors will have a line in this episode. Yes. As, uh, they, they basically have a consensus that they just don't have enough information to take any kind of action. They don't know how he exists. They don't know if it can be replicated for another character.
1: This this is actually probably one of the single most accurate representations of a meeting on film.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Except that it only takes about twenty seconds. That's right. Not... Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> In the future, we we still have useless meetings, but we manage to reduce them down to, to their their core essence.
0: Uh, let's not do anything. All right. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Moriarty, of course, does not accept this delay. Picard wants to know what's, what the rush is, which I think is reflecting my feeling as an audience member. There must yeah. be something else going on here because like, it, it feels very like, I demand this right now. It's very important. We did not hear about this until a scene ago.
1: Yeah, it's almost like uh, a manufactured rush if you were to try to impose on someone, say you say okay say you're a 1970s uh detective right and you walk into an office and you need to get some information from mm-hmm. a secretary you could say i am a insurance assessor uh and that this information i should have but wouldn't that work out better if you could say i'm already two hours late to getting this back to my boss uh i'm In so much trouble, can you just do me a favor?
0: (laughs) Right. I'd really appreciate it if you could just help me out with this piece of information that isn't really that important.
1: Exactly. Don't pay attention to what this is. Just feel this pressure. Now, I'm not saying that this pressure is that well crafted. (laughs) I mean, that was masterfully crafted. And this is maybe, uh, but still.
0: In the context of the whole arc of the episode, this is to get our story, our actual conflict going. Because when you get right down to it, this is actually his motivation. Right. Right. This is not a fake motivation. This That's is what he wants. That's very true. So I think it's more just the the way that our first act is paced in order to get us to conflict is a little, it's mm-hmm. like, okay, we need to get going. Like we got all the premise set. Now we have to like get the story going. Maybe it could have been handled a slightly smoother way perhaps, but it's fine. Yeah. Moriarty's explanation is it's not just that he loves her. He adores her. They were literally made for each other. Right. Right. Uh, as as these programs. But Picard seems to take take the edge off by saying because they don't know how this all worked, they don't want to risk harming her by trying to do something that would, mm-hmm. like, I don't know, delete her program or something, right? Like, yeah. give them some time to figure it out. Moriarty seems to buy that.
1: It seems legitimate and probably would seem legitimate to Moriarty. It, as, as a person that uses a computer on a daily basis, <laughs> uh, that has, like, a redo button, uh, that plays video games, that things get saved and you can go back and all that. It definitely fits in that realm of what is it about Star Trek computers? Why do they <laughs> why do they behave so much like reality? Yeah. Uh, which we might have the answer to at the end of this episode. <laughs> but go on.
0: Uh, Picard is called to the bridge uh, as they are in a prime position to observe the impending collision of these gas giants. But what is this? Worf cannot launch the probes. Command mm-hmm. functions are being rerouted. They won't respond to Picard's voice command. Who's who's transferred the voice authorization?
1: <laughs> Can I just say... So, <laughs> I, I have a rant that I wrote in my notes here.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: That is not a legit, Like As this episode goes on, it turns out that there was no need for this rant. But I would like to share this rant. And it's not much of a rant. Actually, what it is, is a plea. What I would love... <laughs> Uh-huh. From Paramount. Wait, Paramount still exists, right? Or is it now owned by oh, pff, CBS know. or something like that? Probably. Whoever owns Star Trek, all I would like is just a show about the cybersecurity team. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and how bad they are at their yeah,
1: jobs. <laughs> the most inept crew members <laughs> that don't deal with anything spend their whole time just playing around in the holodeck. I would love that. I would love that. Just mm-hmm. to kind of show us that, like, in the far future they're really good at a lot of things Cybersecurity is absolutely not one of them
0: a level of security on this you know flagship starship of this galactic yeah. federation going on all these adventures is in space alone a lot out of the reach of any kind of help but has fewer security features for its command functions than my iphone
1: no it, that's absolutely it it's like Living on a farm with nobody for acres around, and and having a password on your Wi-Fi because you don't want anyone to steal it, <laughs> and then having that password written out in like magnets on your fridge so that anybody in the house can read it and it just it yeah
0: you know obviously this is a a trope that that extends through many star trek episodes of like the command functions whatever yeah ironically while your while your rant is is correct in the broad application it does not apply here (laughs) it in fact does not apply here as we will discover but for now moriarty uh, appears he's uh, he's afraid that he's had no choice but to take control of the vessel because he doesn't think that Picard is taking him seriously and giving him what he wants. Uh, we get the update. It's only five hours until this collision. So if they don't move the ship in five hours, they're going to be destroyed by these colliding planets that are going to turn into a star, which sounds awesome, by the way.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: But Moriarty does not want to live without the Countess. Uh, he has nothing to lose. Mm-hmm. I don't have a life... Anyway, so give me what I want.
1: This is one of those things that feels legitimate. Not so much that like he has nothing to lose, but that here is a moment when Moriarty has pressure. Mm -hmm. He says much earlier in the episode when he talks about the previous what happened in the previous episode, he says he mentions his hostage. Right. Who is Dr. Pulaski? Um, I don't remember exactly how he words it, but like when I have the hostage or uh, yeah. But anyways,
0: yeah, he, he mentions having the hostage and that he shouldn't have given up the hostage because he, he thought that Picard would hold up his end of the bargain, but he didn't.
1: And here he now has an entire ship to hold hostage. So even if he actually does have something to lose, he has leverage at this very moment that he wouldn't have. And on a much deeper level, as we get to the end, he in fact does have hostages. Right which we'll go into in a little while, I guess. But yes.
0: This is also like, oh, right. This guy's a bad guy.
1: Yes. Like, yes. There's He's...
0: some language earlier where Picard's like, illegal activity is even more frowned upon now than it was in your time. Yes. <laughs> He's like, I only did crimes because I was written that way. Yeah. I wouldn't the, actually do crimes.
1: The Jessica Rabbit defense.
0: <laughs> it turns out uh, he is, in fact, still going to do crimes.
1: Yes. Uh, so so the
0: big idea of like this uh, self-aware hologram made flesh is also is now complicated by like oh right and he's he's a baddie and he wants to do bad things so there is actually some conflict here um data jordy and uh barkley discuss some transporter options introducing this idea that because the transporter and the holodeck operate on similar principles of matter energy transference maybe they can figure something out there Um, not at all magic not magic at all (laughs) right yeah and, uh, of course, uh, Picard would uh, would like Geordi to, uh, you know, figure out how I can get control of this ship back. Mm-hmm. As you're doing all this stuff, also, let's get it back. Um, Reg goes to the holodeck to deliver the uh, pattern enhancers. Mm-hmm. The, the lovely devices uh, that make it easier to transport things.
1: We've seen them before.
0: Mm-hmm. We see them in many contexts, often to... Punched through some kind of interference. Yes. Um, And here we get our first introduction to the Countess Regina in full dress, big hat, Mm -hmm. regalia. She says that James uh, Moriarty has uh, explained the real world to her. She knows, you know, she knows that she's a hologram, uh, but that doesn't mean that she is going to be stuck on the holodeck she's excited for this next grand adventure in her life
1: her attitude is great like she she's like yeah i'm a hologram also everything i've experienced is legitimate so like i'm just gonna keep going with that but also i understand there's a new reality and we'll go with that as well yeah
0: it's like i I went on safari when i was 19 yeah wore wore trousers the entire time thank you very much and now I'm excited to go explore the stars with my great love, James Moriarty.
1: This show does a great job of taking the audience and shifting them in and out of sympathies with uh, Moriarty and his plans, right? Because she does. She brings you back. Like, there's that moment where you're like, oh, Moriarty is the bad guy. And then you're like, mm, mm-hmm.
0: But. But she seems so excited.
1: Yeah. Like, th- these, these people are real people. Shouldn't they be allowed to exist? Right. Like, you can't make that decision.
0: Uh, they try this, uh, beaming gambit with a chair, which does beam off the holodeck, but does not materialize on the transporter pad. Um, data asks for the transport logs, but Mm -hmm. they're not available. It's just blinking, uh, not available on his console. He announces, uh, to, to Reg and to us, it's almost as if our attempt to transport the chair never occurred.
1: Yes. Dun, dun, dun. And this, this uh, having seen the episode before, seems like the super obvious clue of what's going on. But I don't know. I don't know if it was when...
0: I think it is a tip, again, trying to put myself in the first-time viewer mode. This kind of thing, I think, is a nod towards start paying attention because something weird is going on. Mm-hmm. Right? Because this kind yeah, of thing, yeah. this this idea that, that it just didn't happen, that there's no record of it, that's a very does-not-happen-in-Star-Trek kind of thing. Uh, They delete stuff all the time, but they usually know that it's deleted.
1: (laughs) Again, we're, we're kind of dancing around the reality of the reality within the reality here. But Mm -hmm. uh, we've seen transporters not have no record, but we've seen transporters behave a little bit like how this transporter does, where something kind of shows up and then disappears or whatever. And there's something comforting about that, that all of these centuries later with this amazing transportation technology it's still like trying to start a car on a cold winter day. Like it just <laughs> that no matter what, we're still stuck with with that human failing and those those frustrating moments where you're like, God damn it, just work.
0: We don't really see that see this in this episode, but it's the whole like, how can these spaceships and uh, space stations and stuff possibly operate with the amount of physical hand tool labor that apparently is necessary to fix anything (laughs) like like everything's either a touchpad interface that is that magically does things or you have to like take apart an entire engine with a one socket wrench there's no in between
1: the the only robots they have is a humanoid android that is like (laughs) this brilliant you know there's no maintenance there's no Roomba Mm -hmm. there's no anything like there's yeah
0: it's to give engineer characters a role on the show, right? And yeah, like and I love that. it's yeah, it's fun to watch, but it's one of those uh uh it, it's it's one of the conceits of the show that just amuses me every time Yes uh, back in engineering, Jordy and Picard are attempting to reinitialize his command codes, and uh, importantly, Picard gives his command codes. And some for some reason, it just doesn't work. Nothing
1: reinitializes. But the moment he gives his command codes, I, I have that sinking feeling. Like, like that. Oh, no. I'm pretty sure when I first saw it, that was the mo- like, Because I don't know why I would still have those feelings. <laughs> but that was like, no, 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 wait.
0: Data appears and tosses something to Jordy and he catches it mm-hmm. in his left hand. <gasps> Dorty is not left-handed. Yes. He pulls Picard aside, and he has made a deduction. This whole thing is still happening on the holodeck. Mm-hmm. They never left. Happy, I need a quick break. I'm going to grab a taco. You tell our wonderful listeners all the places that they can find you and your work on the information superhighway.
1: I'll be right back. One way to find me is to go to twitter.com and search for at Epidia, E-P-I-D-I-A-H, I'm usually responsive there. Otherwise, you can go to worldswithoutmaster.com where you can find my sword and sorcery fiction and role-playing games. And if you like role-playing games, maybe you want to check out dig1000holes.com where uh, I publish all my other role-playing games. Oh no, I dropped my calculator. Nathan, while I go pick up a spare, why don't you tell the good folks uh, where they can find you on the internet?
0: In addition to this podcast, I also design and publish role-playing games, including the worldwide wrestling, pro wrestling role-playing game, among many others. You can find links to all of my games and other projects at ndpdesign.com. And of course, you can find me on twitter.com at ndpaoletta. Looks like you're back. You you're ready to continue the arithmetic analysis for this episode there, Epi?
1: I'm back. I have my DM42 with me and I'm ready to get in, dig down into Rockford's books again.
0: Hmm. All right, well, I'm done with this delicious avocado taco.
1: Well, let's get back to the show then.
0: Because they tried something with the transporter that has never been attempted, there was no way for the computer to reconstruct a log for it in the program. Hence, no data available. Uh, Jordy's left-handedness is the same glitch that was happening Mm -hmm. in the very beginning. And then (laughs) Data just throws something at the warp core. (laughs) And we get the little, like, glitched uh, view of the holodeck grid appearing before it it reestablishes itself. Um, We've discovered what is happening.
1: We, as podcasters, can now talk about the actual reality of what's been going on in the show. <laughs> but be- before we do like, so, okay. Take, I think it's this communicator that data takes off and throws at the warp core or something like that. And then Picard, I mean, I don't think this is what happened, but this is what it looked like to me when I was watching it. Picard contacts Riker and asks Riker to report where Picard is. And Riker says, you're in engineering. Right. And Picard goes, well, that settles it. If that were really Riker, he'd say I was in holodeck deck three, but, That is when I when I watched it, I was like, that is such circular conspiracy theory logic (laughs) that proves I'm in holodeck three because he said I wasn't. And of course, the only time they would say that I'm not in holodeck three is if I was in holodeck three and they're trying to confuse me. Obviously, throwing the thing at the work core, like data had already proven that they're in a holiday. It's
0: just another piece of evidence
1: it proves that Riker is they're not in communication with actual Riker, right. Yeah, but it, it, at the time, it just felt like all the yarns pinned to a bulletin board <laughs> full of all the notes. like
0: right. ah! um we're we're still in the simulation. So who's real? Well, Data, Picard, and Barkley, because they're the ones that went in together in the first place. And ever since Moriarty, quote, stepped outside, that has all been on the holodeck. And Picard realizes that he just gave the fake computer his real command codes. Yeah. uh, Which may be giving Moriarty the ability to actually take over the ship, not fake take over the ship. And this planetary collision's in three hours now, so... We still need to find out a way to give him what he wants.
1: Let's just take a moment and uh, lavish some praise on Moriarty and this con.
0: Mm-hmm. This is a hell of a con.
1: This is a good con. There, there are a bunch of things I do really enjoy about this episode. But this con uh, to get this passcode, which is like I, we've mentioned it, the worst kind of security is cybersecurity ever. It's just right. like a uttered passcode that anyone can either listen to or tape record or, <laughs> you know, whatever. Like mm-hmm. it just. It's not even double authentication. It's not like then you get a uh, text that you have like with a six-digit code that you...
0: If Starfleet had figured out two-factor authentication, then two-thirds of the plots of these shows would never have happened. But, okay,
1: that aside, the con to get these codes is great and elaborate and worthy of Moriarty, right? Right. Like, I definitely been sold on that
0: i mean i'm sure someone watching it was like oh i bet they're still on the holodeck but like i think generally to the to the average viewer watching this this is a reveal and you've been in those mm-hmm. same shoes of being like you know wow how are they going to get out of this one?" Oh, oh they've been in the simulation the whole time right it's like we already got you too it wasn't just the characters in the show yes you bought into the con as well I think it goes to, like, a commercial here, right? When uh, we come back, we have an exterior shot of the Enterprise. And I wish I had picked up on this. I read this on the internet, so I can't say that I was this smart.
1: You can't take credit.
0: But I think it's worth pointing out. So often... How they cut, how they transition between scenes is just an establishing shot of the Enterprise from the mm-hmm. outside, right? And then here they did not do one of those from when the simulation started to now. Oh, this is the first one. Where nice. we went outside the ship, and this is something that they apparently generally would do with all these, like you're in a simulation or you're in your own mind or oh, someone like is a... fooling you to think that you're in a place you're not. One tell for as a as a visual structure. <sighs> For a lot of these shows. Yeah, and it's one of those things where like, I would not have noticed it, but since it was called out, I really appreciated it.
1: (laughs) Oh, uh, I'm sorry. I just realized looking at my notes that I have another thing about that con that I wanted to say. Mm. The basis of the con that, uh, that Moriarty steps outside the holodeck is something that none of them can believe except That they're aboard a starship that encounters wondrous things all the time.
0: Right, yeah.
1: Well, I guess this is new.
0: It's like, this isn't physically possible or theoretically possible, but it happened. And we've seen lots of weird (laughs) out here.
1: (laughs) And I think that that's that's great. I love that.
0: It's part of the, like, fundamentally optimistic nature of the show when presented with anything that defies belief generally they'll start by believing it yeah they'll eventually you know either figure it out or realize that they're being tricked or whatever but there's always that initial optimism of like i don't believe it but how incredible that it happened
1: so you you know they have these episodes that are in the holodeck or in someone's mind or something happen frequently enough that they have a technique for filming them right like and to have a crew not jaded by that Mm. (laughs) because like at some point if I were on that crew, like anything could be happening. I'm like yeah. this isn't happening. There's no way. I've been uh, uh,
0: doing a whole a, a whole DS9 rewatch, and uh, you know, every so often do some some tweeting of some thoughts as one does. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was one of those episodes on D- uh, in DS9 that was a a similar, you know, someone got trapped in a simulation or whatever. Yeah, you'd think at some point Starfleet would just issue a checklist to like all like command officers at least of like something weird has happened. Mm-hmm. Are there strange energy be- beings that you've never encountered before? Was there a pulse of some kind of, a pulse or beam of some kind that recently happened? Yes. Is someone on the holodeck?
1: Is you know, like, <laughs> is, is anyone using holodeck technology?
0: Uh, are there any uh, species that you've never encountered before in the vicinity? Uh, is, is there a virus or bacteria? You know, like, just go down and yeah. get this checklist of, like, all the things. At some point, you'd think there'd be at least a framework for, like, something weird happened. Let's eliminate all the basics before we like go full bore <laughs> into like yeah this is something new but uh on that show it's a, has a slightly more uh uh, uh ha- has a tone that is associated more with character interactions and less with like big ideas
2: yeah and yeah. Then
0: so but for the big idea show i think the the optimism is it's still refreshing uh, yes <laughs> all these years later Um, so now we were outside Moriarty's world. Uh, Riker is on the bridge talking to Moriarty on the view screen, who has now taken control of the ship since he got Mm the card's command codes, but he still wants what he wants, which is to get off the holodeck and be with, uh, the Countess. Um, and so he tells the real crew about the, this transporter idea. He has nothing to lose. He demonstrates that he can just turn off the safeties on the warp core or whatever, uh, He can destroy the ship at will. So do what he wants or he will.
1: And I would just at this moment like to thank the writers for uh, letting me off the hook from pondering the moral failings of Starfleet (laughs) of keeping this brand new life form trapped inside of a holodeck for five years. Because at this point now I'm like, right, he is really a bad guy. That's fine. All right, we're good.
0: (laughs) Uh, Back on the holodeck. Picard goes to Baker Street and uh, has his first meeting with the Countess. Mm-hmm. They have some great little repartee, including the line, I can see that you are a woman not only of breeding, but of wit and sagacity. Mm-hmm. There are some good SAT vocab words in yeah. this uh, little exchange. Uh, and he turns on the charm. Regina uh, defends Mortiarty, says he's not a villain. He was just, again, he's just written that way. But he's yeah. a passionate man who knows what he wants. And, you know, and she does want to be with him out in this wonderful world that they can explore together. Picard. So this little gambit here, right, is that mm-hmm. you, we have an idea, but you wouldn't want to hear about it. And mm-hmm. she's like, "Why? you don't think I can understand these things that you men talk about. So he gives her this technobabble explanation um, of how they think they can address the transporters. If he does not get control back of the ship, he has no reason to do this modification because we're all going to die. Anyway,
1: this modification being uncoupling the Heisenberg compensators. I think that our Mm -hmm. audience members would like to know that in case they come into a situation where they need to, to con somebody with technobabble.
0: (laughs) Oh, those Heisenberg compensators. We get a intensifying the danger scene. They're getting closer. the The gravity well is increasing, and there's force fields blocking access to the holodeck, so the mm-hmm. security guys cannot uh, get in. Which is accompanied by a great visual of a guy just poking in the air with a pen and with the little like force field. Like bsh, bsh. it's like directly at the camera. It's very funny. That's
1: that's a guy who's like. There's a force field there. I don't. All right, I got to do this, this just to say that I've tested it. Right. Let's just get it done. Let's just,
0: <laughs> just in case it like doesn't exist over in this area. Nope, it's there too.
1: Yep. Mm-hmm.
0: Back on the holodeck, the the Countess tells Moriarty the about this. Uh, he says that they should uncouple the Heisenberg compensators. Yeah. that's what he said. They they think they can do, and I was like, aha, Picard, you sly devil. Yes. Moriarty says that well, he has them running around like rats in a maze, and he will take care of this. So he calls Riker, who's who's, uh, starting to fret as there's only 25 minutes left before this collision. I want to talk to you about uncoupling the Heisenberg compensators.
1: At this point, I knew that that this is a counter con, Right. right? Yeah. Uh, this is uh,
0: this is Picard's maneuver to,
1: you know, solve this problem. I can take a guess at the counter con because they got Barclay with them. Mm-hmm. Right. Because why have Barclay <laughs> if you if you don't want to use his one superpower? But um, there was a moment where I, because Heisenberg, mm-hmm. uh, famously the Heisenberg un, uh, um, uncertainty principle. Right. Uh, right. Like I'm going through that trying to think
0: right that's a very specific name that they say over and over and it's like okay
1: is this a code is he is he trying to send a code to riker Mm -hmm. uh or is this as it turns out maybe not riker
2: Mm -hmm.
1: at this point that's what i'm trying to suss out is this a secret code that he's sending to riker that a character written by sir arthur conan doyle it wouldn't have the cultural reference, but that Riker definitely would. Uh, or if if not Riker, Geordi.
0: So my read on this is that it's literally just something he made up, uh, and the code is just such that Riker knows that that's not a real thing. Though actually, that call—that's a question: mm-hmm. Is is he talking to Riker? We'll get back to that in a second. Yes. Moriarty promises uh, the Countess that she'll want for nothing. Um, Everything is ready. They've agreed to do do what he he wants. And we have this triumphant beaming of them onto a transporter pad. All he wants is a shuttlecraft. And then he'll release the command codes back to Picard. They beam off the holodeck. So Riker is now the one.
1: He's in charge.
0: um, And he sets them up with the shuttlecraft. And Mm -hmm. they take off and there's this nice i i like this little scene a lot we have a moment where they're like overwhelmed by the beauty of being in the stars yes which is yes very charming this is so
1: beautiful indeed my dear it is a wondrous sight the first of many we are sure to encounter in our travels
0: and uh, they say that they'll go back to Earth someday. Mm-hmm. But there's this, you know, clearly this attitude of like, now the grand adventure begins. It's a very humanizing moment.
1: I really like the character of the Countess. Um, when, when Moriarty says that you'll never want, he's... Specifically referring to her leaving her books behind. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's great in the context of a holodeck episode (laughs) because it's the same technology, right? Like it's it's fiction that takes you away from your reality. Mm -hmm. That's Mm -hmm. what she doesn't want to leave behind, even Mm -hmm. though she's about to step out into the widest of the universes. You know, Um, and I think that that's a great touch. And she's never afraid. She's not saying I won't go along because of this. She's just lamenting leaving them behind.
0: She's so genuinely on board.
1: Yeah. And, but also down to earth. Like yeah. uh, literally like saying <laughs> I'd like to return to earth at some point. But like, uh, yeah, le- they're very legitimate. Like they're very, they feel very real.
0: Uh, so we go from that and the Moriarty's Grand Triumph back to the shuttle bay where Picard mm-hmm. strolls on. And tells the computer to discontinue the simulation. Dun, dun, dun. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm-hmm. So this transporter deemed them into into a holodeck inside the holodeck? Yes. This is where the logic starts to... May not the logic, but, like, the con I understand. I'm on board with how he, he, you know, he used the Countess to give Moriarty false information that made him think... That they were going to get beamed into reality and they actually beamed him into a continuing simulation.
1: So if this is a recursion, Mm -hmm. right, if this is a holodeck program that has Enterprise inside it, then that Enterprise has a holodeck, then Picard can go and have Barkley
0: beam them onto that holodeck
1: yeah and program that holodeck to do the things that they needed to do
0: when he explains at the end i think that is what he is saying
1: happened this is this is like people playing minecraft and building computers in minecraft out of <laughs> redstone like mm-hmm. this is this is what's happening here uh so yes so in order to be able to have any control over any computer they mm-hmm. need the computer within the computer right and that's why they're on a holodeck within a holodeck
0: right cuz he needs to convince them that they're in reality yes he needs to have moriarty released the command codes because he actually has the command codes locked out and then once those are released then we can end all of the simulations and get back up to the reality layer
1: reality layer
0: so uh they they end the holodex holodeck simulation mm-hmm. then they are able to finally end the moriarty simulation of their entire ship they're back on the holodeck Riker is there to greet them The real Riker? Yes. So, yeah. uh, So that was my only thing from earlier was when he made the call to say, hey, the Heisenberg, blah, blah, blah. Was he talking to a simulated Riker that Barclay had created or whoever? Or was he talking to like the real Riker and he knew that this was (whistles) probably the first one at that point?
1: Yeah, I don't think he ever spoke to the real Riker about the Heisenberg uh, compensators.
0: Yeah, that was all to make him think that that transporter thing would work. Anyway, they get back uh, and everything's fine. They've pulled back to the safe distance. They're not going to be drawn into the gravity well. Right, and here is where we get the visual of Barkley taking this... Fancy memory cube out of the holodeck.
1: Yeah, creamsicle colored.
0: Then <laughs> we we wrap up our episode uh, with Riker asking Picard, "How did you do it?" And he programmed the holodeck inside the holodeck and used the same ruse that had been perpetrated on him on mm-hmm. Moriarty. But he says, "But their program is continuing on. Yeah, they they're halfway to whatever that uh,
1: something two.
0: Yeah, whatever that that planet is by now." They put this cube in the enhancement module, which will provide yes. more than enough active memory for a lifetime of exploring the galaxy.
1: Now, I will point out that when this episode aired, that enhancement module is probably the appropriate size for that, whatever right. amount of memory they're talking <laughs> about. Like it's about the size of a bread box. Right. <laughs>
0: and this is a reflection of early, early 90s conception of what a lot of memory is going to require in the distant future which yes. is basically what a i don't know like an xbox probably would be yeah. you know like <laughs> we have flash
1: memory now it's very small there's that and then they turn around mm-hmm. and they hit us with the most accurate thing
0: yeah so and then picard it says
1: but who knows our reality may be very much like theirs and all this might just be an elaborate simulation running inside a little device sitting on someone's table. And I'm watching this on my phone as it's sitting (laughs) on the desk in front of me and I'm blowing my mind. I'm like, what the,
0: what is happening here? It's all running on someone's tiny device on a table. Nice. And for
1: a brief moment, for just the tiniest brief moment, I zoomed out and saw the back of my own head as (laughs) it.
0: Yeah. Who's to say maybe we all live in the simulation. Who's to say?
2: Who's
1: the same?
0: And then we end this episode with uh, Barclay alone taking this uh, active memory unit, and he pauses and looks up and just gives a quick. Computer and program. (laughs) Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And then we cut from that to the exterior shot where we see this lovely computer generated planet collision collapsing into a lovely star. A colliding of worlds, if you will.
1: Because the cowards wouldn't cut to black. <laughs> Six seasons in mm-hmm. <laughs> wouldn't go computer and program done.
0: <laughs> no, no, is definitively showing us that they are no longer in a holodeck simulation. And that is ship in a bottle.
1: Yeah. That is absolutely a Barclay thing to do at mm-hmm. the end. Like yeah. that is somebody who's very troubled and uh has spent enough time in the holodeck to lose the sense of what's real and what isn't right. Uh, Although he doesn't ever really lose the sense of what's real, but he flirts with it enough that he would have that moment of like,
0: he's a worrier, right? He is a nervous, Mm. worried person. And so when it's put in his mind that
1: maybe you don't exist, (laughs) yes, I should check. Mm -hmm.
0: And that makes total sense. No, it's good. It, It ends on a, on a really lovely note. Yeah. I hadn't thought before we came into this, I hadn't thought about the you know the resolution as a con counter con situation. Yeah, but it absolutely is, and uh, it's uh, it's pretty good. I also like that it could have gone the other so. Uh, Up to that point, I had kind of remembered everything. I didn't remember exactly how everything came out. So the other route that I thought that that Picard's whole gambit was going was telling Riker this thing that clearly isn't possible or is a real thing. But what it does is like makes the transporter totally destroy whatever it transports. Right. And then like they beam off into nothingness and that ends the simulation. Right. Something like that, which in retrospect is probably much more inhumane. (laughs)
1: It, no, it's an interesting solution. It's a bit like buying a computer, downloading Dwarf Fortress, and <laughs> hitting go, and then just letting that computer run in the background forever?
0: Just in perpetuity, yeah.
1: Is it real? Are they real? Well, one of the things about this character, this is this is a part of a set of Star Trek characters that I like to think of um, existing. Mm-hmm. Like, there's the the copy of the doctor from Voyager. Mm -hmm. There's an episode where we're well into the future. You're you're trying to figure out what happened to Voyager and why is the doctor the only survivor? And it turns out there's just a copy of him that Mm -hmm. exists out there. Mm -hmm. So that's great. There's a copy of that character that exists out there. There is a Star Trek uh, animated series episode where some mad genius tries to uh, create the perfect being and thinks that Spock oh, right. is probably the perfect being but not normal size Spock <laughs> a giant Spock so he creates yeah. this big Spock and the cartoon ends with them leaving big Spock behind not to a certain doom but to actually to explore the, wor- the world in his own fashion
0: in, in Next Generation and then with a, with an appearance in um, DS9, there's Riker's clone brother. Yes. Where like, there's like the transporter accident that makes the, another Riker that had this whole other life after their timelines diverged.
1: There's the famous, sorry, infamous Voyager episode where they break uh, Warp 10 and... Paris and Janeway turn into lizards and have children yes so I like to think of all of these beings Mm -hmm. at some point being collected together on their own starship (laughs) Barclay has Moriarty and has had Moriarty Mm -hmm. this whole time because who else is going to keep take care of him right Uh, and eventually it falls out of Barclay's control and somebody else is like huh I wonder what this program is and plugs it into a holodeck on a next next generation Star Trek ship. And Moriarty succeeds in taking control of that ship but can't leave it because he can't leave the holodeck. Mm-hmm. And then goes around and collects giant Spock and <laughs> lizard uh, Janeway, uh, Paris uh, offspring, uh, uh, Riker clone. Right. Like, that would be great. That would be this <laughs> wonderful like crew of castoffs. Oh,
0: that would be so wild. Someone get on that discovery after you're done next, next show, uh, all the weird clones
1: after Star Trek cyber squad,
0: right? It's like Star Trek, a team or something like that. Yeah. yeah. All these misfits. And anyway, um, we, we, at the beginning of the episode, we talked, uh, about the moral ethical question, right? That this this whole episode is kind of around and that it grounds it in this taken as given that Moriarty is a truly self-aware being. Is there a statement being made in this episode about some kind of moral responsibility? It's a little curious. Yeah. Like how this resolves. Because on the one hand, it's like humane, right? Yeah. You know, these two self-aware beings who are, for all intents and purposes, life forms are now in a world where they can go live the life they want to live, interacting with all these presumably programmed beings (laughs) But at the end of the day, that's exactly what Moriarty didn't want. Like that's what he was trying to escape.
1: It, it's superficial layer morality here, right? Like it's enough to. It, it's that level of morality that people can do, and they can be like, "Yes, are those in charge are doing the right thing? I don't have to think about it anymore." Um, where the right thing, once they have regained control of the ship and they have him isolated, mm-hmm. is to establish communication again and and just go, okay. Here's the situation. We've gone away for a week's vacation.
0: (laughs) Yeah. You are now an isolated simulation that cannot connect with a larger ship system. Right. But we're not going to cast you back into the abyss of of memory.
1: So how do we go from here? Let's start negotiating. Let's figure out what it means. You're Mm. a new life form. You probably will discover ways to make more and more of your life form in this simulation.
0: I mean, they're energy beings, right? Like they have encounters with energy beings all the time.
1: Uh, Oh, that would be such a great episode if they encounter an energy being that realizes that they have this thing on their ship and just becoming horrified by it. (laughs)
0: I mean, okay, Next Generation episodes, stuff happens, and then we never speak of it again, right? Like, it's an episodic yeah, yeah. show, and there's not really that much continuity. But in this case, it's like, okay, so now Barclay has this extremely high-end, always-running simulation just, like, yeah. in his quarters somewhere. Yeah. What happens when, like, the Enterprise gets destroyed every so often? Are they dead now?
2: Like, right.
0: <laughs> like, seems like a. it's kind of an, an irresponsible, I don't know, are they essentially pets?
1: Like when they count the number of crew, or not even the number of crew, the number of beings aboard the ship, which is uh, mm-hmm. something that they're going to have to do. There's logistics involved in this. They say, okay, we got this module that keeps it going forever, whatever. Like maybe they can reduce it down to like you know, like a line. It's just like a uh, something that exists in the margins of their <laughs> accounting somewhere, yeah. and they're like, yeah, whatever. There's a ton of non-material costs that we do all the time. We'll just roll it into that, and that'll be it. Uh, this is me becoming the enterprise's bookkeeper at this point.
0: There's no money, so it's just about like how much dilithium they're using or whatever, right? Yeah, but you also you have to yeah you have to track
1: uh, if you have enough energy to keep the life support going for the entire crew. Like, sure, there's, sure. There's, yeah. there's definitely bookkeeping going on there. Um, so uh, there, there's another. CBS, if you're listening, that's another, uh, (laughs) the single most boring television show I can pitch to you is just the accountants deep in the bowels of the enterprise, just trying to deal with the fallout from everything. Oh, God, how are we going to do this? Mm -hmm. You got to tell Picard he can't do this. (laughs) Like, no. But yeah, so it's easy to forget him at this point, which they do. Mm -hmm. Like, that's as far as we can tell, that's what happens.
0: Ironically enough, eventually, as we know with, uh, uh, voyager they do create the technology to allow a hologram to leave the holodeck right once the mobile emitter comes around it's like yeah hey, hey barkley you still got that and he's, he's even a character in voyager yeah <laughs> oh wait a second
1: so if i remember correctly this is me being nerdy mm-hmm. the mobile emitter that allows the the doctor to leave sick bay is from the future. Uh, they go back to Earth in the 1990s, and they discover it because somebody from the right. far future. I think
0: sounds about right.
1: Yeah, once it's discovered,
0: uh, I'm just saying there's yeah there's a lingering ethical question once technology exists that can allow you know Moriarty to go be a person.
1: And I mean like that's a question that shows up in Voyager on several occasions mm. when like the way they treat that doctor. It's like, hold on a moment.
0: Well, yeah. So Voyager like uses that character to center this question as a theme of the show, right? Yeah. And I think does a a, a fairly good job of exploring it from lots of different angles. Um, where this one episode is, you know, we're we're just going off the deep end with yeah, yeah considerations that the people who wrote the, the the guy who wrote this was you know already moving on to the next script, right? Yeah. But yeah, but I think it that kind of thing is what makes. Uh, the most memorable Next Generation episodes for me, though. The ones that, like, bring up a big question, and then, like, I know they're not going to get deep into it, but, like, yeah, yeah. now that it's now that it's been brought up, there's so much more to this idea.
1: It leaves you thinking about it longer than, than the crew right. do, because they have another problem.
0: Right, which, you know, I think that's a good sci-fi thing, right?
1: Yeah, I would agree with that.
0: Do you have any other thoughts here on Ship in a Bottle?
1: Uh I like the title. There was a moment I forgot to point it out. He says it.
0: Yeah, Moriarty has a line of dialogue where he's like, you're now my ship in a bottle or
1: whatever. Yeah. Uh But uh yeah, no, I think this was very fun. I like watching Moriarty and first Data and then Captain Picard pit their wits against yeah. each other, which is a lot of fun. There isn't a whole lot of Barkley in this episode, but I do like the bits that – he feels very true to that character where he'd be like, huh, hmm, huh, hey, Captain, I need to talk to you about this guy that I met. You know, like (laughs) – He's
0: always – yeah, he's fun because he acts – he's really the only character who – uh isn't completely confident yes which is why he's interesting uh in the cast of all these ultra competent ultra uh uh you know self-assured people
1: yeah uh it was a lot of fun i highly recommend uh watching it probably before you listen to this episode <laughs> and get to this part where i recommend it but it's so a uh, good
0: job time travelers who managed to listen to podcasts backwards or whatever <laughs> uh cool well uh you know another fun not all the holodeck episodes are great but i think if you are interested in the question at the heart of this one it is a perfectly exciting one with some great performances and snappy dialogue and fun bits and bobs and a good con counter con in the at the heart of it which we always appreciate
1: yeah exactly
0: well even though there was absolutely no money yes (laughs) mentioned whatsoever on this episode i feel like we have. Earned our holographic 1920s $20 for this day. Yes. So we will be back next time to talk to you about another holodeck episode <laughs> of Star Trek.
2: <laughs> Computer and Program.